Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Let's dive in. In 1968, the Olympics, if you're a, a sports fan or an Olympic uh, fan, in 1968, the Olympics were held in Mexico City. Uh, the last event of the games was the marathon. Olympic Stadium was packed with people from uh, uh, all over the world uh, wanting to see the finish. The finish line was set up in Olympic Stadium. They wanted to see the finish of the marathon and the crowd began to roar as an Ethiopian ran into the stadium and crossed the finish line winning gold in uh, the Olympics. But the real story that day was not who finished first, the real story was who finished last. There was a, a Tanzanian by the name of John Akwarhi. He was in the race and he was running strong until about mile 18. At mile 18, he suffered a severe leg injury, fell to the ground in agonizing pain. And man, his muscles were hurting, his head was throbbing. Uh, the officials were saying, man, you just should throw in the towel, right? You, you, you're hurt, you're wounded. Why risk further injury? Throw in the towel. And, but rather than quitting, Akwarhi picked himself up and he basically hobbled for eight more miles crossed the finish line and fell in pain as he crossed the finish line in one of the most heroic uh, uh, things in Olympic history, uh, uh, just a, a, a heroic acts in Olympic history. Later, a, a reporter went to Akwarhi and said, man, I just got to ask you, why did you not just quit? I mean, you were injured. You were, everyone would have understood. I mean, you're going to risk further injury. This is something you do. Why not quit? And Akwarhi said something that I think is an inspiration uh, for all of us. Us and something that inspired really uh, what we're going uh, to, to sew up what we're going to say today, hopefully, is he said this, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to Mexico City to finish the race. Now, here's why I think that's so important. Because I see so many people start so many things, but very few finish anything, right? It's easy to start but it's difficult to finish. It's easy to start anything, but it takes commitment and clarity to finish, right? And I, I think that's the case with many Christians. How many people do you know uh, that came out of the gate in the Christian faith? Man, maybe they prayed a prayer. Maybe they got baptized. Or maybe they, you know, they joined a church and man, they were faithful to church. They were coming and things seemed to be going great. But today, man, they are worshiping at, uh, you know, at the Bedside Baptist Church, right? I mean, they're going to St. Mattress, right? And so, I mean, you know folks, and, and I'm not talking about maybe they're there, you know, because for a reason today, but that's their life. And they start, but few Christians finish, to be quite honest, and even fewer finish well. I want you to finish. I, I, I want you to finish. And, and, and in that Olympic game, you know, you've got an Ethiopian that won the race, but you've got a Tanzanian whose commitment won the hearts of the world. 
And I want you today to understand, and as we look at John, as we continue mining the gold that is in the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, we're going to finish out chapter three, and hopefully you're going to see that if you want to be a true Christ follower, uh, it requires clarity and it requires commitment. You've got to know what your mission is, you've got to be clear about it, and you've got to be committed to completing it. All right? Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment that Jesus uh, is in heaven. That's where Jesus is right now at this moment. He's in heaven. And imagine he's having a conversation. Let's say he's having a conversation with Moses, who's in heaven as well. And he says, Moses, and, and he begins to talk about you. You come into the topic of conversation, and you're like, whoa, I mean. Now, imagine that. What would Jesus say about you if he's describing you to Moses? Now, what if Jesus said to Moses, Moses... And he filled in your name and he said, that dude, that gal is one of the greatest people I've ever created. That dude, that gal is a warrior for my kingdom. If Jesus said that to Moses and you knew that, you would literally be overwhelmed. You would be like, oh, I mean, uh, unbelievable. Uh, Hopefully you would be shocked. You would be delighted. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, You think, man, you can't even imagine Jesus saying that. But you know that Jesus literally said that about John the Baptist? Jesus literally said about John the Baptist, he said, among those born of women, meaning human beings, there's never been one greater than John the Baptist. He literally said that about John. And so I want to know why Jesus said that. Because if Jesus said that about someone, a human being, then I want to know what qualities and what characteristics uh, were a part of his life that caused Jesus to say, this guy is the greatest guy ever because I want to emulate those things, right? Now we could talk about a lot of things, but there are two obvious things that were a part of John's life that caused Jesus to say, this guy is one of the greatest ever. And those were clarity and commitment. John had an incredible clarity, as you're going to see today, about what his mission was all about. He didn't get distracted. He wasn't confused about what his life was all about. He knew that his mission was to make much of Jesus. He knew that his mission was that God would get praise and people would get saved. He knew that his mission was not the fame of his name, but the fame of Jesus. That was his mission. And he was committed to completing the mission at all costs, even getting his head chopped off in prison. He was committed to the mission. So he had clarity and he had commitment. That's what we're going to talk about today. And hopefully when you leave, you're going to understand the importance of clarity and commitment to the mission. Our bottom line today is simply this. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Those are some of the most famous words that ever rolled off of John the Baptist's tongue. As John said in our passage today, he must increase, I must decrease. What does that mean? Well, he knew his mission, and his mission was that he increased so that Jesus could increase, and he was committed to making that happen. So let's begin to look at this passage. Let's begin to look at this passage and break it down and find out uh, how that we can be uh, clear and committed to our mission, how that we can literally get up every day and pray, Jesus, I want you to increase and I want to decrease so that you can increase. All right, so let's, let's dive in. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 28. We're going to cover it all, but let's look at 22 through 28. After this, this he's talking about his conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, if you'll remember that conversation, after the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you 
before who you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, everybody wasn't going to him, but that's his disciples' perspective. They're getting a little jealous of Jesus' popularity uh, getting stronger than John the Baptist. And so uh, they're painting with a broad brush here, and, and it's not necessarily accurate, but we're seeing what's going on in their mind. So John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Very important. We're going to drill down on that. One of the greatest principles you can get your mind around. You, you yourself bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have, been, I have been sent before him. Now, after Jesus was in Cana, he left the wedding in Cana, uh, he went to the big city of Jerusalem. And he went to the big city of Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Passover with his disciples. And there he caused a riot in the temple. Right? I mean, if you remember, the temple uh, was made up of these courts. You had the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in once a year. Then you had the court of the priest. Uh, only the priest could go in. Then you had the court of the Jewish men, the court of the Jewish women, and then the court of the Gentiles. The only place the Gentiles could go in the temple was the farthest place from the presence of God in symbolic form, which was in uh, the uh, Holy of Holies, right, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Gentiles had one place they could go, and the Jewish leaders uh, saw an opportunity to make some money by selling uh, sacrificial animals, which wasn't a big deal. People needed animals to sacrifice, but they ran everybody out of the, of the Gentile court so that they could set up their tables there uh, and because so that they could charge and get a kickback. And what they did was they gave no place for the Gentiles to come, got Jesus angry because his house was a house of prayer for all nations and they didn't care about anyone but themselves. They cared more about their money than God's glory or God's mission. Jesus got angry. He, he made a whip, if you'll remember. Sit down and fashion a whip. Without Indiana Jones, man, began to whip animals, flip over money, the tables, coins flying everywhere, running people out of the temple. I love this visual of Jesus. He's angry in a righteous anger because of God's, for God's glory, right? And so he caused this, this riot in the temple. And after this, we're told about the conversation between he and a Pharisee named Nicodemus in, in which he has this discussion about what it means to be born again. Great discussion in John 3 about salvation, about that it's not just praying a prayer, getting baptized, joining the church. It's not just external things you do, but it's an internal repentance. It's an internal thing where you're born from above. You're born again, born anew. You're a brand new person. Right, so he has this conversation, and after this conversation, he leaves the city and goes out into the countryside. Man, I love going out into the country sometime, leaving the city, because that's where you recharge. Man, that's where you can resharpen the axe, you can focus, you can just have some downtime and chill a little bit. But here Jesus, it says, he's doing a couple things. One, he's hanging with his disciples. He's hanging with his disciples. Now, uh, we here at LifePoint, folks, and I want to I say this. This is not imperative to the message, but it's a great principle within the message. Uh, we at LifePoint are very passionate about disciple-making. That's our mission. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he gave us the great commission. Make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. He didn't say just make church members, make converts, uh, make baptized. He said make disciples. That's people who look like Jesus as far as in their actions, people who begin to act like Jesus, right? Think like Jesus. Make disciples that we're passionate about that. Now, as we're passionate about that, that's our mission. It's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. We're commanded to do it. All Christians, not just pastors. And so, as we make disciples, uh, our mind 
generally tends to gravitate to lectures and classrooms and classes, and those things are a part of disciple-making. We have classes here, 101, 201. We want you to get involved in those things so that you can progress in your faith and understand some things. But what we see is Jesus is the model disciple-maker. We want to make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? He taught his disciples, yes. But here's what we see through Scripture. He spent time with his dudes. He spent time with them. A key ingredient to disciple-making is not sitting in a class uh, disseminating information, but it, it's, it's spending time together, living together, seeing how uh, someone fleshes out with their kids and with their spouses and, 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 and their relationships, right? And so spending time. And so we're going to roll out some things in January uh, that gives you an opportunity to get in groups of like three dudes and three ladies and spend some time together uh, discipling and going over God's Word. We want you to roll into that, all right? Because we want you to be a disciple. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is Jesus was spending time with his disciples, which meant they were spending time with him. If you're a disciple, here's the question. Are you spending time with the master? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in, 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 in worship? Uh, is this a priority for you? Because it, it, I want to go, and it's not just a cultural thing, as I said, where we just go because it's what we do on Sunday, but I'm going to make sure God gets praise. I, I want to go and and, and exalt his name. And I want to be with the people to encourage the people, but it's all about Jesus, right? Are you spending time with him in worship? Or are you spending time with him in a consistent Bible study and prayer? Uh, that's discipling, right? And so Jesus went away to disciple his guys, and we see that through Scripture. And think about this. Jesus, man, started a revolution, and he didn't put together a million-man army. He put together 12 dudes, really, that he poured into and really down, drilled down with three guys, and he started a revolution with that, of which we're still a part of today. We want you to be in part of that kind of disciple model, okay? So look for those things in, in, in January to roll out, as well as are you spending time with Jesus today? right? So they were spending time together, but they were baptizing, it says. Now, Jesus was not baptizing. We know from John 4, 2. In John 4, 2, it tells us he wasn't baptizing. A couple of verses over in the next chapter, but he was overseeing his disciples baptizing, right? Now, John the Baptist was still baptizing as well. He was baptizing uh, at the river at, at a place called Anon near Salem. Why? Because there was much water there. It was water was plentiful. Now, let me, uh, this is just, this is free, uh, uh, interesting historical information about our city. I don't know if you know this, if you are from Smyrna, Laverne, Murfreesboro, from the surrounding Middle Tennessee area, uh, you know, this will be cool for you. If you're watching online, this will be cool about uh, here, but I don't know, did you know that there's a street here a road named Enon Springs Road in Smyrna. If you go to where Walmart, and I'm sure you all go to Walmart, it runs in front of Walmart. If you're, Walmart's facing Enon Springs, it goes across Nissan, goes, runs down beside of Nissan, down to the river. It would run straight into the river, uh, which pours into the Percy Priest Lake right there. And the reason it's called Enon Springs Road is because the very one of the very first churches in Smyrna was built. They built it down at the river because there were springs there providing much water so they could baptize. And so they named that the Enon Springs Road. It's spelled differently because of spelling, but uh, it's Enon Springs Road, and it comes from this passage right here in the Bible. Did you know that? 
Isn't that, isn't that cool? Not, not to mention the fact that Smyrna, the city uh, that we're in here with this campus, uh, is uh, mentioned in the Bible, the city in the Bible, and Revelation, where Jesus commended. It's one of the churches Jesus commended in Scripture. And so our city's got some very biblical images in it, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, right? I want you to know that, but that's just free information, right? Not a part of the message. So, so the, the, they're baptizing. They're baptizing in Enon, and John's disciples are baptizing. And it says that John's disciples got in to a debate with a Jew over purification. Now, what, what was that all about? Well, uh, purification, we saw those purification jars in the wedding in Cana. That's what Jesus uh, had them to fill up the purification jars with water when he turned water into wine. And purification, uh, in, in the rites of Jewish purification was very important. It was a lot of external cleansing, which was, you know, symbolic, should have been symbolic about the, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, but they made it a, a religious ritualistic thing. And, and so uh, they're probably arguing about, uh, the disciples are probably saying, look, it's not about cleaning what's on the outside of the cup, but what's on the inside, right? It's not about external uh, uh, ritual, but it's about the internal repentance, that's probably what they were arguing about, but we really don't know because what they were arguing about is not the point. The point is that they were setting the context for the point, right? And, and this is what was happening. The implication of this is that somewhere in that conversation, that Jew who was arguing with them about purification probably said something to the effect of, well, I don't know why you're arguing with me about this anyway. You guys, I mean, Jesus, this Jesus is down the river and he's baptizing and he's got a lot more people going to him than you guys have got coming to you. Now, this made John the Baptist's disciples tight because, you see, they had had a very successful ministry with John the Baptist. I mean, they had seen thousands of people come. They were attracting thousands of people. They were baptizing thousands of people. They were the only ministry show in town, so to speak. I mean, they were known all over the region and all over the area, right? And so they had a very successful ministry with John the Baptist. Now they fear that John the Baptist's his popularity is being eclipsed by this Jesus. And so they go to John because they're still loyal to John. And before we beat them up over this, you've got to remember, Remember, in their time in history, they didn't really know who Jesus was yet. Even though John had said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they're still figuring out Jesus' own disciples didn't know who he was yet, right? Until after the resurrection. And so, right before we beat them up for being loyal to John over Jesus, man, I commend their loyalty. I mean, because loyalty is a missing virtue in our world today. Whether it's loyalty to our spouses and our families, loyalty to our churches, loyalty to our friends. Man, I'm huge on loyalty. And so I commend them for their loyalty and what we're learning from it, all right? So they go to John the Baptist and they're saying, man, this guy's eclipsing Jesus. And because and, 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 they didn't have a clue yet who Jesus was, they're still trying to process this. And so they say, Jesus, uh, John, what are you going to do about this? And John, if anyone ever had the temptation to fall into the pride trap, it was John. Think about John the Baptist. Think about him for just a moment. Outside of Jesus, no one had ever been filled with the Holy Spirit in their mother's womb but John the Baptist. He was full of the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Only Jesus could say that, right? I mean, he was the forerunner of the Messiah. No one could ever say that. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus himself said, nobody's greater that's ever been born. There's never been a human being better than John the Baptist. He had had this successful ministry that reached thousands of people in that day. I mean, man, if anyone had an opportunity to blow out their chest and start thinking a little bit of themselves, it was John the Baptist, right? 
But rather than having an inflated view of himself, John the Baptist had an inflated view of Jesus. You see, rather than him thinking much of himself, he thought much of Jesus. So he told his guys, he said, guys, let, let me help you to understand. I know you don't get this yet, but you've got to understand, that's what our ministry is about. Bravo. If that's happening, that's what our ministry is about. That's what our life is about. Our life is about making much of Jesus. Our ministry is about making Jesus' name famous, not our name famous. Our life and everything about our life is about Jesus. That's why we named this series Jesus. John said, bravo. He said, listen, guys, you've heard me say, you can testify, I'm not the Christ, right? I, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the forerunner. He's the fulfillment. He's the one. If more people are going to him, great. That means we're successful, okay? And then John said something that we got to drill down on. He said, guys, let me help you understand it this way. No one can receive anything unless it comes to him from heaven. No one. Now, what's he talking about? Well, you've got to understand the context. They're concerned that John's popularity is going to be eclipsed by Jesus, okay? They're concerned John's going to lose some influence. They're concerned uh, John's going to lose people. And so here's what John is saying. It would be the equivalent of, of, of you being concerned about, man, somebody else is going to get that position and not me. Somebody else is going to get that raise and not me. Somebody else is going to get that house and not me. Right? And so John the Baptist, when they're concerned about who's more popular and they're concerned about who's ministry, and John, John says, whoa, 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 let me, let, me, let me make sure you understand something, guys, in 2017 down in Smyrna, Tennessee, right? Listen, you can receive nothing unless God gives it to you. If you can get this, it will completely revolutionize how you see everything in your life. It would make you start being thankful for what you have rather than envying what someone else has. It would make you begin to, it would change how you see and use everything that you have in this life, right? Because if you realize, wait a second, you know, here, basically in, in, in modern application, he's saying, listen, you worry so much about getting that position. And when we get so worried about getting that position, we'll do things, sometimes uh, things we shouldn't to get that position or to get that house or to get that raise, right? Or, or to get that wife or to get that husband. And John says, listen, you can't receive anything. In other words, whatever position you find yourself in in life, you thank God that you're in that position. You be faithful in that position. You use your position at work rather than saying, I want that promotion and I'm going to get this and I got to beat this guy to the punch. I'm going to be faithful in the position that I'm in to make sure that God is praised and people are saved. And then if God raises you up, let God raise you up. When, when, when you look at, 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 at your, your bank account, rather than saying, I've got to do whatever it takes to make, get my bank account at that point, man, you be faithful with what you have. You, you, you do everything in the position of financially that you are to make sure God gets praised and people get saved and let God raise it up. You look at your marriage, you look at your status in life, whether you're single and, man, I, I'm always the bridesmaid, I'm never the bride, you know, and, and rather than doing whatever you can do to make sure you're the bride, which causes people to do crazy things and lose their mind, you say, man, I'm going to be where I am and the lot in life I am, and I'm going to be faithful in this lot in life, and I'm going to be so that people get saved and God gets praised and let God give you that person. So he says, you can't receive anything. That means that everything you have is from the hand of God. Your skill, rather than looking at people's skill, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, I'm not as valuable because I, no, you are who you are from the hand of God. And use what skill 
Use what personality, use what passions, use what talents that God has given you so that God gets praise and people get saved. Use those things for his glory, right? Use those things for his glory so that God gets praise and people get saved. So that God gets praise and, and people get saved. Now, let's look at John chapter 3, verses 29 through 30. He says this, the one who has the bride, he's going to give him another illustration. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now, think about this. John said he, he, this joy is now complete. We don't think of John as a very joyful person. I mean, when you think about John the Baptist, you're thinking, that dude, I mean, man, he's like, He's an eccentric individual, but I don't know about joy. I mean, this dude's wearing camel's hair, man. He's got bugs in his teeth. He's hopped up on sugar from all the honey. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're thinking, I don't know about joy, but it says his joy is complete. Why is his joy complete? Because he's, he's clear about his mission and, he, and, he, and he's seeing his mission being accomplished because he's been committed to it. So he says, my, my, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those are the most famous words that ever roll off of his tongue. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, John gives this illustration to help them get it. He says, you know, now think about this, guys. I mean, think about the marriage because in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was considered the bride of God, right? I mean, Israel was referred to as the bride of God, which was a foreshadow of the church being called the bride of Christ, Right? And so, so what he's talking about here is we are the bride of Christ because we are in covenant relationship with Jesus. And so what he says here basically is, guys, I'm not the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church belongs to him. I, 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 I'm not marrying the, the church belongs to Jesus. I'm just the best man. Man, I get to go to the wedding. I get to stand beside of him and see Jesus enter into the joy of the wedding right? I, I'm the one who gets to stand there and pave the way, make sure, man, he has what he needs to do my functions as the best man. This is all about Jesus. People at the wedding are not looking at the best man. People at the wedding are looking at the groom and the, at, the, at the bride. They're not looking at the best man or the maid of honor, right? I mean, that's what John is saying is this show is Jesus' show. This world is his world, right? And so th then he says, I must decrease, he must increase, he must de increase, I must decrease. Now, man, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. What, what John's not saying is there, it's like, guys, listen, man, we've been working hard. I mean, man, we have sacrificed. We have put hours in. We've been, man, we've, we've been ran out of some places. We've had some bad things said about us. We've been working hard, and now Jesus is on the scene. Man, we can kick back and we can chill a little bit. We can relax. That's not what John's saying at all. Matter of fact, John kicked it in even higher gear because as a believer, you don't ever chill and relax, to be quite honest. I mean, you go hard at it. Why? So that God gets praise and people get saved. No, what he's saying is this. When he says he must increase and I must decrease, he's saying that, hey guys, listen, you got to understand you're worried about him getting more public. That's what it's about. When people look at my life, they should see Jesus. So when he says, when people look at your money, your life, your marriage, your friendships, your job, they should see Jesus. What John is saying is people should connect you. When people see you, when people know you, they, they should connect you with Jesus. And they said, so, whoa, listen, that, that guy, I have no clue how he got here, but I know he loves Jesus. So they see you and they don't think, oh, man, Pat Hood, that, that guy. They see you and they go, 
man, Jesus. They're thinking more about Jesus. Is that what people think about when they see you or that people think, oh man, he's the greatest attorney ever. I hope you are for the glory of God. But I hope people say, man, he's a great attorney and he loves Jesus. He's the greatest mechanic. She's the greatest mom. You know, I love how she moms, but she loves Jesus. That's what's more important. Not that people know you're a good mom, a good attorney, good preacher, good whatever. It's that people know you love Jesus. He must increase. You must decrease. And let me tell you, uh, every day when you get up, I would challenge you to do this, to pray a prayer. God, today, here's what I know is gonna happen. I'm gonna have every opportunity for me to increase. I'm gonna have every opportunity to fight for my name. I'm gonna have all kind of temptation come my way that makes me want to fight for my name and for my cause because I think I deserve something because I feel I'm entitled. And Jesus, help me today to decrease so that you can increase. You need to pray that every morning. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Matter of fact, say that with me, would you? He must increase, I must decrease. Say it again. He must increase, I must decrease. One more time. He must increase, I must decrease. I I challenge you to pray that every morning. Meaning, not that you pull yourself and relax, but that you give everything. You go all in and say, today I want people to see Jesus in what I do. I want people to know that my life is about Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Let's finish it out. John 3, 31 through 36 says says this. He who comes from above is above all. Now, what John's doing here, John is going to go into 31 through 36. He's going to give commentary, color commentary on why he must, Jesus must increase and John must decrease. He's telling you why. And I'm not going to break down all these verses because there's a lot here. But the bottom line, John's saying, he's proven, why should he increase, I decrease? Because he's God and I'm not. Okay? That's, that's the gist of what he's saying here. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to earth. He's from heaven, I'm from earth. He's God, I'm, I'm, I'm human. And speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all, okay? Then he says, he bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He comes, he talks about things from heaven, but when he says no one, what he's talking about in general, most people reject him even today. Most people reject him, right? He, uh, but whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. But there are uh, some people who receive him, uh, some of you, right? It says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For uh, he gives the spirit without measure. The words of Jesus are the words of God. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's God, I'm not. That's what he's saying. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. We've talked about the love of God, for God so loved the world, right? He loves because his love is set on his Son. He has an incredible love for his Son, and he has an incredible love for those who are in his Son. He says, now get this. He goes back to this word, believe again. For God so loves the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. He goes into believes now. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You believe? You believe? We talked about what that means last week. It's not just intellectual assent, right? It changes everything because look at what it says. Whoever does not obey the Son, he connects belief with obedience. How do we know you really believe? Well, do you obey, right? I mean, what you believe determines how you behave, right? And so obedience and belief are connected, right? You don't obey to get salvation. You, you, You obey because you are saved. 
right? And so, so there's this obedience. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, right? But the wrath of God remains on him. And so, so John gives some color commentary here to, to why he must increase and, and I must decrease. And I'm not going to break them all down, but as I said, the basic point is this. Why? Because he's God and I'm not, right? I mean, I come from the Appalachian Mountains of East Tennessee. He's from heaven. Okay, I can't understand the mind of a woman. He created women, right? He's God, I'm not. Now, some of you would say, Pat, there's, there's absolutely no, uh, no danger of me saying I'm God. I mean, none of you are going to go home, I hope, and put on Facebook, or do a Facebook post and say, you know what, I've been thinking about this thing and I think I'm God. If you do, take anything to do with LifePoint off of your Facebook. No connection. Okay, please. So nobody's going to claim to be God, but let me tell you what we do. We, we, we do associate ourselves with God every time we sin. Why? Because we say, I know better than God. Did you know that? I'm smarter than God. God said do this, but I know better. Right? And so, so uh, John basically said, why should I decrease and he increase? Because he's God and life's about him. You, you know why there's blood in your veins? Because... He created you to live for his glory. There's air in your lungs, your heart's beating because you are created and your mission is for God's glory. He must increase and I must decrease because he's God and you're not. That's what John says, right? And he closes it out again by talking about belief. He who believes has eternal life. He who doesn't is under the wrath of God. And, and so as I looked at this this week, uh, that's, there's a lot of pat verses, right? 22 through 36, and we typically try to go down and break down verse by verse because we want you to know the Bible, right? I mean, we want you to, to, to really know the narrative and to know the Bible, and, and that's what we're committed to is God, because it's God's Word. I mean, all the things that I say are just fluff, to be honest. God's Word is what we're talking about, right? And so, so uh, when we look at this, I read this, I'm like, what? I mean, man, this, there's so much here. What can I preach on? And I struggled with it. Man, I was going through this on Monday, I was going through this on Tuesday, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I read through it, and I'd pray, and I'd read through it, and I'd pray, and I'd, I'd study the commentaries, I'd study, you know, uh, what pastors, I'd study, and I'd read through it, and pray, what God, what can I say? And it's like, you know, all of a sudden, it dawned on me, right? It dawned on me, it's like, listen, here, here's what this is about. This is wrapping it up, chapter three, that is. It's wrapping it up, and here's what Jesus, and what, here's what God's giving us a picture of. He's giving us a picture of a man who had clarity and commitment. That's what I want my people to know. That's what I want this church to know. Clarity and commitment. John the Baptist was very clear about his mission. What was his mission? It wasn't to make his name famous and to build a huge ministry. And so that people would write books about John the Baptist. His mission was to make Jesus' name famous so that people would read the words of God for all of eternity and believe and be saved. It was so that God would be saved. I mean, so God would be praised and people would be saved. I know my mission. John knew his mission. By the way, his mission is yours, right? And it was about his commitment, his commitment to completing the mission. He had every opportunity to be knocked off course. I mean, man, when, uh, as his ministry's growing, as I said, he could have gotten very prideful and said, whoa, hold on a minute, man, I'm doing a pretty good job here. He didn't let that knock him off course. He didn't let the influence of his disciples knock him off course. He didn't let being arrested and put in prison, having his head chopped off, knock him off course. He was committed to the mission. And I saw that in his passage, and I'm like, wow, this is what this is. You've got his disciples. They're coming saying, what are you going to do about this? And John's clearly telling us, my mission is to make him famous, not me. It's to live for the glory of his name, not mine. 
and I'm committed to doing that. And LifePoint Church, that's what the church all over the world needs. We need Christians who don't just come out of the gate strong. It's easy to start, but it takes commitment and clarity to finish. And most Christians don't, okay? Most Christians don't, to be quite honest. It takes commitment to finish. Anybody can be in it for a minute. It takes a commitment to finish, right? And so, so as we look at this, man, I, I, I mean, uh, that we see, you know, John the Baptist, he, he's committed, he's clear about his mission. He's com- committed to completing his mission, and his mission is your mission. And so here's what we need to know. Our word for mission, get this, this is awesome, comes from the Latin word for sending. And that's just awesome for us because, you see, we're a sending church, and our mantra is live sent, right? Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Right? And so our mission is to live sent in this world so that God gets praised and people get saved. That's our mission. Right? I mean, you find the Great Commission uh, five different times, really, in the Bible. It's all over the Bible, but the Great Commission is explicitly stated five different ways in each gospel and Acts. I mean, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That's Matthew. Uh, in, in, in Acts, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Nations, living sent, over and over. That's your mission. As, I'm, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Our mission is to live sent so that God gets praise and, and, and people get saved, right? Jesus called you to come to him, and he called you to go for him, right? That's your mission. In whatever context and domain God has you, in whatever job, in whatever neighborhood, in whatever relationship, your mission is so significant that here's what Jesus said. I, w- I want you to hear this. He's talking uh, about quitters here, right? He's talking, he, he, Jesus said, if you get distracted from my mission, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. He talked about if you put your hand to the plow and look back, he basically says, if you get distracted from my mission, it's easy to start. But he says, I didn't, I didn't call you here to start. We're going to see if I called you because a lot of people claim Jesus. I'm a Christian. Man, I said that prayer and I got baptized. Well, we're going to see. Are you going to finish? Right? Do you have the clarity and commitment? He said, if you get distracted, you're not fit for my kingdom. Matter of fact, that, that's why Paul said, if my life is about anything other than the mission of God, it's useless. Some of you might want to argue with that if we got rallied down to it and said, I don't know, man. I mean, you, man, you raised some good kids. and I mean, man, you treated your wife good. Man, you made some money. You gave I mean, I, I, Paul said, listen, if my life is about anything other than, a, than the glory of God, it is useless. Here's what I'm telling you, folks. If your life is about anything other than God, God being saved, praised, and people being saved, if it's anything about God's glory and God's mission, if it's anything about that. Now, there's a lot of things, man. I I love my wife, and I love my kids. I love the people I work with. I love my job, man. I love some hobbies. I, I, I love doing some things. Those things are life, right? But if my life is about those things rather than the glory of God in those things, there's going to be a time, and I promise you this, there's going to be a time when I go, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not satisfied with what I've accomplished in my life and what's my life been about, and I need to do something, and it causes men to go crazy and women and what we call a midlife crisis and say, i got to do something. i got to change up. i got to get a new wife. i got to get something else. i, I got to find another job. And none, none of those things are going to cure your problem. The problem is you were created for the mission of God, and apart from that, you're not going to find what you're looking for in life. And if you do reach a deathbed, 
one day and you, you've not lived for the mission of God, you're going to lay on that deathbed and you're going to have all kind of regrets because you're going to go, I wish I would have done something. And most people don't even know what that is because apart from the mission of God, there is a hole in your soul. So Christian, I, I want to challenge you, man. You, you, you started if you claim Jesus. Great. Man, listen. That Tanzanian said, my country didn't send me to start the race, but to finish it. God didn't call you to come out of the gate strong, get baptized, uh, you know, come to church for a few weeks, and then sit back and then worship at the St. Mattress on Sundays. It's not what God called you to do, to start. He called you to finish, right? He didn't give you the job you have just so you could make money and provide for your family, and those things are a part of it. He gave you that job so that you could see your job as your mission field, so that you could live sent within that mission field right? Jesus, think about Jesus. He had this incredible clarity and commitment on his mission. At, at the age of 12, Jesus said in the temple, I must be about my father's business. You remember that? 21 years later, he's dying on a cross and he said, it is finished. Those are two bookends that frame a life that is clear about his mission and committed to keeping it to the point of I'll give my life for it. You see, that's why you got to have commitment. If you don't know your mission, you'll never live on mission. If you don't have commitment, you'll fall by the wayside because living for any mission requires sacrifice. I promise you, you, you think about anyone. You think about an athlete, who their mission. You think about, you know, Tom Brady, like Tom Brady or not like Tom Brady, the dude's like the greatest quarterback ever probably, right? And, and you look at, at him and you, what does he do? Man, go look at his diet. Go look at his exercise. Go look at what he does. It requires sacrifice to, to, for, for him to do that, right? You want to be good at anything? You want to complete a mission? I mean, man, you, you look at any, anybody who's complete. Man, this sacrifice. Look at the disciples. They all died. You know, John boiled in a pot of oil. Jesus murdered. It requires commitment because you won't sacrifice if you don't have that commitment. Do you know what your mission is? Jesus, on, the, on the, the night before he was arrested and crucified, he's praying and he says, Father, I have completed the, the, the task you sent me to do. Wow, can you say, will you be able to say that, you think? I mean, if you knew I'm, I, you're going to die tomorrow as Jesus did, and thank the Lord, none of us know that, right? But if you knew you're going to die tomorrow and Jesus did, would you be able in your prayer time, would your prayer time revolve around God, forgive me because I've failed you in this area, this area, this area, this area. I know there'd be a lot of that for me. There'd be a lot of that for all of us. But listen, would you be able to say, but Jesus, I lived, I finished the race. That's what Paul said too, right? Jesus said, I completed the work that you gave me to do. Paul said, I finished the race. Finish the race. Can you say that? You need to have clarity and you need to have commitment so that he must increase and you must decrease. If not, listen, you, you, you're going to feel entitled to that, man, I, you know, I deserve fill in the blank. I deserve that job. I deserve that house. I deserve that paycheck. I deserve whatever. Rather than saying, you know what, whatever God gives me. I can't receive anything unless God's given me whatever he's given me. I'm going to be faithful with it for his glory. So he gets saved. So he, I'm sorry, he, God gets praise and people get saved, right? It's going to require clarity and it's going to require commitment. Nelson Mandela, great example. Nelson Mandela's one of the most iconic figures in the world, right? One of the world's greatest statesmen. He spent decades in prison for his fight against apartheid. And he was standing before the court about to be sentenced. 
uh, and uh, in danger of receiving the death penalty. And Mandela made this statement to the court. Let me, let me read it to you. He says, I've fought against white domination and I've fought against black domination. I've cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony with equal opportunities. It's an ideal which I hope to live for and achieve, but if need be, it's an ideal for which I am prepared to die. You think Nelson Mandela had an impactful life? Listen, folks, you don't have an impactful life without clarity and commitment. I mean, you can cruise. You can cruise. And you can get by and you can make it to the end and have a few good things and all that. But if you want to have an impactful life, if you want to literally be a Christ follower that has an impactful life, you've got to have clarity and, and commitment. You, you, you've got to wake up every day and say, Jesus, I know that today I've got every opportunity to be entitled. I've got every opportunity to think this, I deserve, I belong, I deserve this. I want to make my name great. And today I pray, Jesus, that I, you would increase and I would decrease. See, that's your mission. What is that? You ever get clapped? What's my mission? I don't know. It's Jesus. That's your mission. I mean, that's pretty simple. That just boils it down to as simple as you can get. I don't know my mission. I don't know what my life's about. Jesus. That's what your life's about. It's about he increasing and you decreasing. So that people look at you and see Jesus. We're going to go into our commitment time, and Chad's going to come, and he's going to lead us. And this is your time to respond, man. I, we're going to give our tithes and offerings uh, so that we can give this mission. We're going to, uh, you're going to, you're going to, some of you are going to repent because you think, man, I, I've lived for my glory. I'm not living for God's glory. Uh, I, I hope, you know, that God does some soul work. And this week you rattle around, let it rattle around in your soul. Write those things down is I can, no person can receive anything unless it comes to him from heaven. And then you begin to, I, here's some great homework for you to do, man. Here's some great, I mean, soul work for you to do that would really make an impact on your life. Get in your quiet time and you write down, you know, look at, look at that passage and write it down. No, no person can receive anything unless it comes to him from heaven. And then you begin to write down, God, you've given me this and this and this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Man, think about your wife and your husband. And some of you right now, man, you're like, I'd like to kill my wife or my husband. And right now you need to be saying, man, I need to be thankful for my wife. Or That's what God's given me, right? No one's got a perfect wife or a perfect husband. No one is a perfect wife or a perfect husband. But it starts really changing how you see your wife, your husband, your job. Write down, this is what God's given me now. How can I be faithful? And then write down, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And, and let that set your life. Chad's going to come. You respond as God has led you to respond. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for not, we're not here to play a game or check off a box of church on Sunday morning. We're here to magnify and exalt Jesus. And thank you for being here today so that he can get praise and people can get saved. Let's, let's pray you respond how God uh, leads you to respond. Father, we love you. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Your word is so rich. God, uh, it, it is your word. It's from you, God. And I pray that we would submit to it. Lord, I pray that we would love it. I pray that we would live it. I pray that we would read it. I pray that, God, we would chew it, that we would eat it, that we would digest it. Lord, I, I pray that our lives, that we would preach it, that we would teach it, that we would speak it. God, I pray that your word, God, would be the playbook of our life. God, I pray that we would live for your glory so that you can be praised and people can be saved. I pray that you would increase and we would decrease. 
We love you. Help everything this church does and everything we do to be about Jesus so that people know Jesus. Got our mission? Jesus. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.